0: Mary had a little lamb, she also had a sheep. They both joined the Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. (laughs) Can feel like that sometimes, can't it? We're on this roller coaster of all that God has for us. Two weeks' time is a baptismal service. Got four young people getting baptized two weeks today. Great. I'm coming. You come in. Great. See you there. 10:45. Usual drill. Uh, excited about uh, uh, that. Last Sunday, thank you everybody for making last Sunday what was uh, a, just a great Sunday. You know, sometimes Sundays are dull, aren't they? But last week was a great one, and uh, it, it was great because the the, the morning provided such. A beautiful opportunity for us to be family. It was different. It created space. It created connection. There were super times of prayer. Great insight in the Bible. Felt like it gave us some space. Totally loved last Sunday morning. And thank you for all of you that served so well and hard. to, uh, Especially at the end, just to clear up and to make that easy. And then all of you that uh, uh, turned out in the evening to work, to serve, to be uh, the good hosts that I think we were last Sunday to all that happened here as we welcomed, I don't know, seemed to be loads of churches, didn't there, represented last Sunday evening. Fantastic sense of something that God is doing uh, across our town. And then, um, because we're the church, when, when we heard that Chris was ill, Chris Sheldrake, she has been a pastoral worker. Uh, she's led numerous groups and organizations. If you don't know Chris, she's been a pillar of our community for years and remains exactly that. When we heard she was really ill on Monday night, it took us 45 minutes to get over a 100 people praying. Some here at church, some of you in your homes or wherever you were. And uh, we cried out to God for for Chris. And uh, uh, Chris turned a corner then on Monday night, Tuesday morning. And things looked a lot better. She had a valve replacement in her heart a year or so ago that has got infected, and it looked like things were coming together. But then, as you may well know, she was blue-lighted to Patworth on Thursday, and uh, Chris will be operated on replacing that valve. So, open-heart surgery again for Chris on Tuesday. So, we pray for Chris and for Steve and for Ian and Paul and for Richard and Louise and the whole family and everybody. But it was a, a great opportunity, again, that that, uh, that highlights the kind of family we long to be. You with me? And uh, we gathered again on Thursday evening in our homes or again here at church. And it, Thank you so much for the way that so many people said, I'm in. We're going to join together in faith and prayer. If that all passed you by and you thought, why didn't I get an email? It's probably because the box, I want to receive urgent prayer requests, is not ticked on your church suite profile. So if I can encourage you to do that so that you can be part of these moments when God's at work among us and we're calling people uh, together. Uh, Claire and Rich and Becky and Nathan and Dan are all at form. Uh, Letton Hall, remember Letton Hall, Blast from the Past? Uh, They're there this weekend. Uh, Liam's in prison and uh, hopefully they'll let him out. And I think the rest of us are here. Okay, 1 Peter, chapter 1. New series, second week. A fortnight ago, Claire opened up our series preaching on the first few verses of 1 Peter. If you missed it, then catch up on the beginnings of 1 Peter. We will be in 1 Peter for a while i hope the podcasts are okay for you to find on the new website we'd welcome feedback about that if you find them on itunes or spotify or on church suite then that's all unchanged and they're in their usual place and they'll just keep coming as long as you click the subscribe button sound like a youtuber now so i'll stop the word of god works on all kinds of different levels And everybody tends to have a preference. Some people love it when we look at the big themes and we go through themes of the Bible and we step back and we see the big story. And uh, sometimes we look at it from that kind of, you know, 30,000 feet altitude and, and see that it, it's not just this one verse that speaks of whatever it is, but the whole sweep of Scripture talks about it. And I love the way Scripture is consistent from beginning to end with all its different authors over different languages, different seasons, different times, and so on, yet the thread of what God's doing runs all the way through, and we look at it from that level. Sometimes we come in a bit closer. We kind of hover over a book or an area, and we look at it in that way, and then other times we delve down into the detail. Now, some people say, oh, I love the themes. Other people say, I don't like the themes. Some people think the only way that you can preach is to get into the detail. Other people think it's much better when you have the big story. So this is the detail, all right? Something for everybody. And uh, if you're bored with one Peter already, deal with it, because we're going to be in it for a while. Ah, uh, Here we go. Verse 13. Therefore. Therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, you ask yourself, what's it? Therefore. Why is it there? What's the connection? What's the reason for its existence? It throws us back to remind ourselves of everything that's already been said, because therefore something else is a reality because of something that we've already understood. Stood So I, I hope you've got your Bibles open. It would be really brilliant if you bring your Bibles each week to look at this together so you can be sure that it's in your Bible as well as mine. And it's something about having your Bible open in front of you, the one that you open day by day, the one that you pray over day by day as we study the Word together. Maybe like me, you use, a, you use an app or you use it electronically. That's fine. Have that with you as well, so have your bible whatever that is for you open and, and look at verse 3 with me. 1 Peter 1. What page are we on everybody in the Pew Bibles? 1217. 1217. If you haven't got a bible by the way, just take the one that's in front of you. Now, yeah, just take it home. You're welcome to it. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, we are recipients of the amazing, abundant, lavish mercy of God. Drink it in for a moment. You might feel like you're in danger of his judgment, but it doesn't say that. You might fear like you're in danger of his criticism in some way. In His great mercy. Drink in the mercy of God for a moment. He he doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. That's His mercy. He doesn't deal with us according to our faults and failings, our disappointments, our shame, our guilt, our regrets. In His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Something that's alive, that's real, that's true through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope that even death itself cannot destroy. That's it. That's ours. That's his gift to you this morning. Honestly, make a bit more effort to look excited about it. If you're not, honestly, fake it. Blag it for a minute, for my sake. Just pretend, and maybe the feelings will follow. His great mercy, a living hope, that even death itself cannot destroy or overcome. And into an inheritance, on Father's Day, we're thinking about our inheritances, or lack of them, into an inheritance, sorry boys, into an inheritance that can never, ever perish, spoil, or fade. Yes. And my dad has got a lot of inheritance for us. I don't mean my earthly dad. That's another story. Just in case you're wondering. I'm not promising you something. The one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills, which is a bit like saying, yeah, he owns all of New York. The one who owns a cattle of a thousand hills, he gives us an inheritance that can never perish with a stock market crash, never spoil because someone makes the wrong investment, and will over time never, ever fade. And it's mine because of his great mercy on me who through faith that's us are shielded by god's power i am protected i'm she- you are protected you are shielded through faith by god's power. So it's not dependent on our faith, notice that, it's not how big your faith is, it's who you've got your faith in. We are protected, provided for by God's power, and in case we've forgotten, that's the power that raised Jesus from the dead in verse 3, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Bring it on, I say. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Well, do you? In all of this, you are totally over the moon. That's the message translation. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and we'll come back to that. But even these griefs and trials, notice what it says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory. In other words, the trials that you face will prove your faith to become stronger and more refined, and your trust will be increased in the Lord Jesus because of what you've gone through and we know that sometimes don't we that was the worst moment of my life but actually now I wouldn't change that because it did something in me that never would have happened without it you're with me and honestly some of you are going through those things right now and I totally understand all you want is to be over it When you're in a dark valley, all you want to do is get to the green pasture. But honestly, just keep walking and you will. And in the meantime, God will do something in you that you will look back and even say, of that darkest valley, somehow, I never thought I'd ever say this, but if I had my time again, I'd still walk that valley. Now that's faith, isn't it? There's something profound that's going on in our lives in those moments nothing's wasted nothing preach it sister go for it Elizabeth great she's got the idea that wasn't too hard was it no just get out there brilliant it'll take us a lot longer if you all join in but hey that's part of the fun though you've not seen him you love him you love him you love him do you love him and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. When it says inexpressible, it doesn't mean it's so deep it can't be expressed. It's just a metaphor, yes? It just means it, It's you can't put words on it. Inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of yourselves. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 And then verse 10, down to our verse, verse, the verses that are for us. That was just a sideshow. That's not really our passage for this morning. We're just cheating. Verse 12 is basically the prophets and the angels and everyone going, wow, we, we couldn't work out how brilliant God's salvation was going to be. We longed to see it. And now you have. We can see things that our forefathers in the Old Testament longed to see. We see things that even the angels didn't understand until it unfolded before them. Therefore, therefore, in the light of all of this, this now, says Peter, is how you get to live. Because of all that God has done, you now can The imperative of what we can do comes out of the indicative of all that God has done. Therefore, this is now how you get to live. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Having been given such a hope, we now get to live in it. Every Christian of every generation has needed hope. You don't need to be a Christian to understand the importance of hope. Psychologists, sociologists, anybody with an ologist on the end will tell you that for human beings to function, we need hope. We were designed for hope. If you create something that is utterly hopeless and a human being cannot discover hope, they will literally wriggle up or rivel up and die. We need hope. And when Peter writes to these Christians... And we've been meeting as community leaders on a Tuesday evening thinking about the power of our communities and reminding ourselves that in the early church, the, the kind of powerhouse within the communities, when these communities met in their homes all across the, uh, the Roman Empire, they needed hope because the empire around them was closing in on them. By the time Peter was written... Persecution against the Christians had accelerated. You've heard about Nero's persecution, burning Christians, using Christians as, as like torches in, in his palace. I, it's just You can't imagine it, can you? Christians were being tortured and killed for their faith, and these little communities all over the empire were facing an incredibly hostile environment. These early Christians were definitely outsiders. They had no place in the empire. They did not belong anymore in the culture. They were outside now in Christ, the way of life of ordinary people. They were outside the religious norm of polytheism. They were outside the religious, the, the moral norm uh, of relational, sexual, economic, whatever layer of morality you want to talk about, they were now outside it in Christ. Were they outsiders? Yes. Did they fit in? No. Were they being hunted and killed because of it? Yes. Yes. So that's their reality, just 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what's happening to our brothers and sisters. And it's a phenomenal testimony, isn't it, to the grace of God in people's lives that there still is a church. You with me? That they weren't just stamped out. And they didn't have big cathedrals and buildings and organizations and charities and all the structural stuff that maybe we cling to. They were just little communities like yours and mine in meeting in homes all across the empire. But God had done something in them that was irrefutable. God had started something in them that would never stop. And it didn't matter how great the persecution, and it hasn't since the light of Jesus was never going to be put out because they'd understood that they were recipients of his great mercy. And Jesus Christ, who would come again, was in them. So this whole book, this whole letter, is about how you live as a Christian when you feel like an outsider. And we increasingly can relate to that. Are we outside of our culture? Pretty much. Are we misunderstood by our culture? Pretty much. Do we have a great hearing from our culture? Mm, Not really. So, we, we can begin to understand, maybe just in miniature, something of the pressure crowding all, around these early believers. How would you like Peter to encourage you to live in that hostile environment? What might we have wanted him to say the way Christians should live when the pressure Mounts when the heat is turned up. There are two responses that I observe we typically make when we feel like we are outsiders. The first response is this we seek to deny our difference, we seek to deny, uh, we play down. The fact that we are different from our culture in order to feel more comfortable with it. It's super easy for Christians to act as if they are not really much different from anyone else. To absorb the culture of our workplace, our neighborhood, our school, our college. And we think of ourselves pretty much as just the same as the next person. I will do my best to fit in. We are in the world and in danger of being too much of the world. Remember those words that Jesus prayed at the end of his life. And the tragedy, as I said last Sunday evening, is I think that's become too easy for us to deny our difference so much so that we end up not looking very different at all. How we spend our money, how we use our time, our various ethics, sometimes might not look too different from the culture outside. We play down our difference. The other temptation I think that we face is rather than deny our difference because deep inside we know we're different we try and hide our difference we try and hide our difference It's a different tack we know we're different we know our values are different so we try and hide it we try and keep our distance in order to hide what we know is true about ourselves we we have a kind of siege mentality we rush back into church and pull the drawbridge up We can be who we are, and we go out into the world, and we keep ourselves to ourselves, and we keep ourselves quiet. As I reflect that, that was the way that I lived my teenage years, by and large. That I I knew that what God had done in me was so different from the people around me at school and wherever it was. So I would keep myself to myself. I would Keep my distance, perhaps both relationally and in other ways, in order to protect that sense of being different. I would put a barrier around me to protect me. That's a siege mentality. The opposite, the one we were just talking about, is perhaps a syncretistic mentality where we try and blend in to society so that the difference Uh, doesn't show too much. Either way, we're trying to protect ourselves from the hostility of a culture that does not believe, that does not encourage, that does not support the faith that we hold to. You with me? Which one are you? Which one are you tempted to do? Are you more tempted in your, wherever it is where God has placed you, just to blend in? To pretend that there's not really any different. You're just the same as them. You'll have a right laugh with them because that's what we do. It's all okay. Because I'm just like them, really. And I'm a little bit different in my Christian environment. Or do you know that you're different, so you're tempted to keep your distance, to to create a little kind of relational or emotional barrier around yourself just to protect you. Talk to the person next to you. And just, just tell them which one you might be tempted to fall into. okay i think we're all tempted to have a go at one or the other we all have a natural desire to protect ourselves from what we might understand to be a hostile world a hostile culture there are some situations where you are glad people don't know the whole truth about you are you with me because that would be awkward And and we cope with it either by keeping our distance so that they don't find out or uh, by just blending in and pretending there is no real difference between us. So let's build up what this whole letter is about. This letter is a call to live right when the pressure, the heat, is turned up. How does Peter expect... How does Father God call these Christians to live in that environment? Let's build this up from the bottom. Verse 1 of the whole book reminds these early believers that they are outsiders. Whatever else we need to know to live well in our culture, we need to accept that we are outsiders. You are Exiles. I mean, being an exile is, a, is in a way a horrible thing, isn't it? You've been pushed out. You've been squeezed out. You no longer belong. To be defined as an exile is to be defined in a very negative way. Now, you have to balance that with what Claire was saying last time about there is a place where we belong. There is a place where we are called the family of God. But in terms of the world, we are on the outside now. We've been pushed out because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Or as he describes it a few verses uh, later, we are foreigners here. Foreigners and exiles. And and, you know, if, if you've ever lived abroad and you've been part of an expat community, you will know how easy it is to have that kind of siege mentality. We'll look after ourselves, we'll protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe from the big bad world outside. Whatever else this letter ...is teaching us, it's that we need to embrace the reality that we're different. Embrace your difference. Are we ready in the name of Jesus, because of his great mercy... ...to embrace the reality that we're different? Be holy. The root word uh, for holiness means to be separate... To be set apart. It has moral connotations, absolutely. But it's much richer and deeper. When we say that God is holy, we mean that he's totally other. He's totally separate from anything else. You can't compare him. He's a different species, a different kind all together. He's different. Be different. Be holy. Live up to your holiness by being different is effectively what verse 15 is uh, charging us with, you are an outsider. You don't fit in anymore. You don't belong anymore. You don't make sense anymore. You're holy, set apart, separate, to stand out, to stand up, to look different, to act different, to think different. From the world's perspective, you are weird. And some of you are weird from our perspective as well. <laughs> but that's a different story all together. You are weird, my friends. Embrace your weirdness in the name of Jesus. That's your calling. You see, we can deny it. We can hide it. But the call is to embrace it. Embrace your difference, be holy, and secondly, be ready. Therefore, with minds that are alert, that's a challenge for some of us, and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is one of these verses that the NIV has translated several times in an attempt to try and get it right, and it's probably more wrong now than when they started. And the reason that it's more wrong is that there is a, uh, that the language can't be expressed in English in a way that makes sense. Literally the verse means, gird up the loins of your minds. And what on earth does that mean in English? It doesn't make any sense to the modern reader, which is why they don't put it like that. An older translation tries to capture that by saying this. This is NIV, a few years back. Prepare your minds for action. For action. Gird at the loins of your mind for action. Far from your difference, causing you to hide away... Far from your difference, causing you to blend in, your difference should be a stirring, a calling to action. Gird up the loins of your minds. Be ready to do something. When the Israelites ate the Passover meal, they had to eat the meal girded for action. And some of you are still wondering what on earth does girded mean. It's when you've got a long robe that the men in Eastern, Middle Eastern times used to wear. You couldn't run in one of those because you would trip over it and fall. So you would gird it up. You would lift up your dress effectively and stuff it into your belt like a mum on sports day. <laughs> See what I did there? Contemporary illustration helping you to connect the old and the new. And once you've girded it up and stuffed it in your belt, then your legs are free and you can run. The only reason for sticking your robe into your belt was so that you were ready and you were off. Gird up the loins of your mind so that you're ready. Some of the Old Testament imagery pick this up a lot. Elijah, for example, just after the prophet of Bel and he's racing ahead of Ahab, he girded up his loin, tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab. Or Jeremiah, when it says about Jeremiah, before he went on, all that God had called him to, get yourself ready, gird up your loins, dress for the part, get your mind ready, because there are things for us to do. We might feel like we are outsiders, and in so many ways, we are. But in this hostile Environment We are called to embrace our difference and not hide away or deny our difference, but be ready for action who 's in because that 's the call that runs through this letter to these Christians. Under pressure. I would have liked Peter to have said, There, there, it must be really tough for you. Hide away in your homes. Don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Don't go out there and make a fuss about everything. You look after each other. Keep yourself to yourselves because Jesus is coming back. I would have written that letter. And I would have sent it to you. And you would have been glad to receive it. But Peter writes a very different letter. And we need to wake up to what he's saying. And, And no doubt. No doubt in his mind were the words of Jesus who also talked about being dressed ready, of having your loins girded. Be ready. Ready for what? For service and keep your lamps burning. And so Peter offers them some principles in these verses to help them embrace the difference, to be holy and to be ready. And I'm just going to highlight them for you as we come to a close embrace your difference by knowing who's looking who are you really living to impress we spend an awful amount of time trying to impress people i think we don't really like i think we spend a lot of time trying to impress people whose opinions we don't really value very much we spend an awful lot of time trying to impress people whose life and lifestyle is not one we would want to emulate ourselves. So, so Peter says, look, look, where are you looking? Remember that your father judges each person's work impartially. There is the father who's looking. And, and if you want to think about who's looking at my life that I should worry about, then it's not the person that I work with. At the end of the day, it's not even my human boss or those in my neighborhood, but there is a Father in heaven who's poured out his great mercy on us, who says, hey, I'm watching. I want to please him, don't you? When my head hits the pillow, at the end of it all, really, I want to know that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow, and someone else that I don't really care about has kind of said something, well, so what? Or if my head hits the pillow, and the whole world says, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. But the Father says, well done. You might have lost the world, but you've gained so much more. If we're going to embrace our difference, and stand up, and stand out, we need to keep our eyes and our minds on who's really looking. Who are you living to impress today? Whose voice has become too powerful in your life? And what drives that? We've all got people whose opinions of us matter more than they should. Is that just me? You're prepared to leave me hanging, most of you, on that. You see, I've got this sneaky suspicion that that there are some people who think, why does their opinion of me matter so much? Maybe it's because of this next point. Maybe we're still on that search really for approval. The very sickness that is at the heart of the sinful human condition. I want to feel like I'm approved of, that I fit, that I'm of significance. And maybe that's why Peter launches right into that in the next verse. Embrace your difference by knowing who's loving. By knowing who's the loving one. By knowing whose love really matters. That he is the one who loves us. Don't you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Handing down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ. If he delights in me then I'm in. If he says, stand up, then I'm in. If he says, speak out, then I'm in. Because he's the one looking, and he's the one above all else, who have proved his love for me, for us, beyond measure. There are other people whose love matters for sure, and they will let you down. If you're in the throes of an early relationship and you think it can never, they'll let you down. It's a shock when it happens. sooner it happens, the better. Because then you know that two broken people are trying to work it out. But there is one whose love has been utterly consistent. And if I'm going to embrace the difference that I'm called to, I need to know his love more than anyone else's. Embrace your difference by knowing who's living, thirdly, finally. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. He's the living one, the one raised from the dead. And so he's the one who offers us life, and yet we're tempted to just blend in with the world. Do you want to live like all the people around you? Do you look at your, the people around you and think, do you know, I'd really like to be as anxious as them? Do you sometimes think, I, I'd really like to be in that place of having that kind of hurt and wound and not knowing there's a great healer? I, I'd like to live life without a certainty of all that's coming. Well, Why is it so attractive to us? Why so much time and energy fitting in? Embrace the difference. That's the challenge of these words. And as we go through its pages and its verses, it's more than words. These words are are life to us, aren't they? We're praying that these words will touch us and change us and challenge us and, and move us forward. That we might be men and women that stand up, that speak out, that go, I'm different. Yes! And we'll need to be healed from some stuff to do that. Because for most of us, being different has been a source of great pain. That moment you got rejected in the playground because you were different, that still hurts. That can still hurt 50 years on. And we need the Lord Jesus to heal us in these places. So that instead of going, I'm going to spend all my life trying to fit in because I don't want to face that hurt anymore, I can spend all my life being gloriously free. I'm going to be different. And for some of us, being different is going to be a lot easier than others. Is it brilliant? Look around, look around. Let's look around at everyone. Stare at, stare at a few people. I mean, honestly, how different are we? Let's not try and blend in everybody because we don't stand a chance. We're different. God has done something in us that means it's impossible now to blend in. But it's impossible now to deny. We are forever changed. Let's just have a moment of quiet. Outsiders, we don't really fit. We are called to be different, is your father too. We're going to take just a few moments where you get to think about this as an individual. Kerry is going to play softly so that the silence won't feel too silent but we are actually going to just spend a few minutes said to us today are we ready to be holy? Are we ready to be ready? Are we ready to be different? After we've had a few moments, we are going to sing a song that we are free in Christ, that we are chosen by our Heavenly Father, that we are his to move in our hearts.